message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Why cuties are dressed alike. Boy, they get all prettied up, don't they? How are you all doing today? Good, 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 good. This is the day the Lord has made. I will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Yes. Today we're going to do something a little different. We're in this Bible study in Peter, but when Josh is gone and I get both services and I have to go to Vegas next week, I get off track. We'll eventually get through Peter. We will. But God laid something special on my heart today. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to pray and let it happen. What do you think? You want to release the Holy Spirit in here? Let's just pray this right here. Father God, right now we release your spirit to take this word and do with it whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do, just take it and move with it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. Before I start, one important announcement. We have now, we're working on, we've already, we've already got it. We have a Southwest campus that will be opening at the end of the summer. And it's going to be... VBF Neighborhood Church in the Southwest off of Harris Road and uh, Gosford, a way out there. So we've got the building. We're working on it now. And uh, hopefully in August, you'll have another place you can go, another neighborhood church. Now, today I'm going to do more of a topical uh, instead of uh, verse by verse. Now, we're going to look at David. In the Old Testament, David's my favorite character. In the New Testament, Peter is my favorite character. Now, what, what, what really, really just gets my curiosity about David, how is a man that very often was so messed up, how was he called a man after God's own heart? Now, David was great, don't get me wrong, but he messed up a lot. And yet he was still called a man after God's own heart. Now, I want to look at a, at a certain passage in 1 Samuel chapter 27 through 30. And I want to work my way through that story for just a few minutes this morning. And then at the end, I'll give you five or six lessons that we can learn from this story. Now, today there's going to be a lot of ramas. What's a rhema? That's when God speaks something personally to you. Probably more so than, than usual. So I want you to listen. God laid this on my heart. It's coming from Him. It's not coming from me. I'm convinced of that. The, if the presentation's bad, it's my fault. But the content's from Him, okay? So before we start, I'm going to pray this here again. Father God, open our hearts. Lord, we need to hear specific things today. So I'm going to ask you to take some of this very simple stuff I'm going to cover and drive it home into our hearts in a brand new, fresh way. And we ask you right now to do that. We believe you'll do it in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. Are you ready to hear? Right now, think about what you're going through. Kind of, kind of get that in your mind right now. 
And then, then I want you to picture that as I talk this morning. See if God speaks to that issue, okay? Now, David in our text has been anointed king, but Saul is still on the throne. He's out to kill David. David is running from him. With that in mind, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 27, verse 1 and 2. Then David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Now David's saying this to himself. God's not saying this. He says, one day I'll perish by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I'll escape from his hand. So David arose, crossed over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. Now, this is very important for you to see here. David, at this point in his life, is backsliding. He's falling away from God. That can happen to Christian people. I backslidden once in my life, and it was when I was very, very young, I backslid and had to come back to God. Now, David is backsliding, and it's something, again, that most of us can relate to, unfortunately. He has started talking to himself instead of talking to God. His dialogue with God has ceased. His prayer life is hurting. Now, when we talk to ourselves instead of God, our problems are going to get bigger. They're going to get bigger. We have to learn to dialogue with God and hear his dialogue coming back to us. But here, David is talking to himself and not to God. Now, again, I I know it's redundant. You probably get tired of hearing me say it. But the older I get, the more I appreciate the Word of God. It just, the Word of God just blows me away more. Every, every decade I live, I get more blown away by it. I mean, for example, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Look what it says. It says, be anxious for what? Nothing. Say it louder. Nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about anything. But, say with me, but. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Your request. Now, why would he tell you to make your request known to him if he wasn't going to do something about it? And it says, when you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this works. Have you tried it? If you know how to pray through, which I'm sure most of you do, and you take the stuff you're anxious about to God in prayer, and you pray through. I mean, you take authority over spirits, and, and you curse the works of the enemy, and, and you, you quote the Word of God, and you pray, and you pray, and pray, pray, pray through. Maybe five minutes, maybe six minutes, maybe 20 minutes. You pray through. It's amazing how peace comes. Amazing. I have all kinds of illustrations for you today. I don't have time to talk about them all because I'm really worried about the clock this morning. You say, when did you start worrying about the clock? I I am. I'm worried. I'm concerned. I'm watching it. And so it just blows me away. The other day I told Debbie, I said, Debbie, we were so stressed out about something. We went to prayer. I said, Debbie, tell me you don't have peace. She said, I have peace, Ron. I said, me too. 
I have so much peace that God has this thing. He's got it. Now, again, it blows me away, but you have to pray through. Pray. It, it, you might pray through in three minutes, five minutes, eight minutes. You got to pray everything you know how to pray. For example, we had some, some people close to us going through something a while back, and man, Debbie and I got into prayer, and I said, in Jesus' name right now, I curse any relationships that's coming against God's will in this, in this situation. I curse the, the wrong voices. I curse the wrong counsel. I command it to be silenced. I command it to die in the name of Jesus. I know how to pray. And I said, right now, plant seeds of desires in their heart that coincide with your will, God. And Father God, I give it to you. I don't have to worry. And I quoted scripture, quoted scripture, quoted scripture. And then I rested. But I did Thanksgiving. Now, Paul taught us, and we're taught in the Bible to pray with Thanksgiving. What does that mean? At the end of your prayer, say, I want to thank you that you heard it. I want to thank you that you're doing it. I want to thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's the way you end your prayer. And so... It blows me away. Now, again, David talks to himself and doesn't open himself up to dialogue with God. And as a result of that, he ends up getting ahead of God's plan for his life. I said, you're going to hear God. Hello, hello, hello. There's a rhema here. Some of you are about to make a big decision in life, and you haven't spent a season praying, and you might get ahead of the Spirit of God, and that's not going to be good. Don't make a big decision without going to God in prayer. God has an opinion about it. You belong to Him. Your life's to reflect His glory. He has an opinion about it. So it's a rhema right here. Don't, don't be dumb. If you're going to make a big decision in life, don't do it without a season of prayer. I'm telling you from experience, unfortunately, trust the Lord with all of your heart and what? Lean not under your own understanding. Now, we go through so much stuff that we shouldn't have to go through simply because we don't take it to God in prayer. Abraham got ahead of God and created a big problem in his life, an Ishmael. You go down through the Bible, Moses, did he have to spend all those decades herding sheep? Probably not. But because he got ahead of God, he ended up doing that. Did he have to murder that guy? Did he have, no, he got ahead of God. Jacob, did he really have to steal the blessing? God was going to bless him. He already told him he was going. He got ahead of God. Abraham had the fiascos in his life because he got ahead of God. He said, leave and don't take anybody with you, and he took Lot with him. Listen to me. I don't know if you're like me, but my impetuousness has really, really got me ahead of God way too many times. But that's the reason he put Romans 8, 28 in the Bible, because of people like me, people like David, people like Jacob. God knows we're but dust. He knows that. He's made, he's made, you know, all of these, uh, uh, he's given us all of these things ahead of time, knowing we're going to mess up, but he says, that's all right, when you mess up, I know you're going to, I'll give you Romans 8, 28, for I'll get involved and make it work out together for good. Now, David moved to live with the Philistines. That was Israel's enemy, I'm sure you know that. 
Because he thought, he thought to himself, if I go live with the Philistines, Israel's enemies, then Saul will stop looking for me. He'll hear about it, he'll stop looking for me. And you know what? It worked. His sin worked. His conniving worked. Look at verse 4. It says, now it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath. He no longer searched for him. David's manipulation worked. Sin is missing the mark. Is David sinning? Yeah, he's sinning. He's missing God's mark. But it's working for him. Now listen to me. I had somebody come to me the other day, and I've had this quite often. And they're struggling with a temper problem, an anger problem. And I said, you know why you are displaying anger all the time? Why? I said, because it's working for you. That's why you keep doing it. See, I used to have an anger problem, and it worked for me. Don't, don't, don't let Ronnie go off, man. If he goes off, man, you know, and everybody was kind of afraid around me, and they did what I wanted them to do. I had a jealousy problem. I hate to admit it, but I did. And it worked for me. People were afraid. You know, I, I ain't flirting with his wife, man. He's crazy. <laughs> and I did it because it worked for me. But I want to tell you something. When you use sin in a manipulative way, it might work for you today and tomorrow for a little while, but it'll soon turn on you and destroy you. God has a better way. My dad, he got angry, had a bad Italian temper, and man, when he yelled, everybody would cower, and it worked for him, man. We were all afraid of him, and we would do what he said because we didn't want him to get mad. But it turned on him when his grown son stood by his dead side. And I started crying when he died. I didn't cry because I missed him. I cried because he never apologized to me. I was, I was hurt. I was mad. I was angry. So, when you're using sin in a manipulative way, it, it might work for you for a season, but it'll turn and destroy you at some point in time. Is anybody listening to me? Is anybody hearing me? Listen to me closely. Jealousy worked for me for a while. It, it meant my wife walked a line, not that she even needed to. But you know what? She was this far from snapping and saying, get out of my life. I hate you. He was trying to destroy me. I never did, and I, 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 I told my testimony, and I said I was physically abusing my wife. My wife said, Ron, you never hit me. You just pushed me a few times. You never hit me. But still, one day we were driving in the car, and this is after I'd been saved for three or four or five years, and I got mad, and I saw her start doing this, and it just broke my heart. I thought, what kind of monster have I turned into? And my wife would be afraid of me. So, I tell you, I'm talking to somebody. You got that anger problem, and you're, you're throwing your weight around, you know, macho dude? Your wife might snap on you. There's a, there's a book in my library called Snapping. It's not a Christian book, but it says that people come to a certain point in their life where, where they don't love you anymore, and it can't be, can't be fixed. People snap. They come to a place where they want nothing to do with you anymore, and there's nothing you can do to fix that. It's a line they cross, they snap. Should we go on? I mean, I'm just getting started. Uh, 
God has other ways to achieve that goal. You want your spouse to be faithful and you don't, you, you, you don't be jealous and you, know, you, want, you want your kids to obey you on and on. How about prayer and love and serving them? That'll bring them around. That's the right way. That won't come back and destroy you. Let's go on the story. Now, 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 David leaves to go live with the Philistines. The 600 men go with him. 600 men follow him. You know why? David was a man's man. He was a leader. Men liked to follow him. He had influence. Do we have any leaders in the house today? Come on, don't be, don't be bashful. You know you're a leader. Maybe you're an employer or you're a popular guy or gal on the block or, or you're a big brother or a big sister in the family. Maybe your parents. Leaders, you have a bigger responsibility on you than you know because people are going to follow you. 600 men follow David. I read a statistic the other day and it went something like this. When the dad gives his life fully to God in the family, use the whole family follows. It's not true with the mother. I'm sorry, moms, but it's, it's not true statistically wise. Who am I talking to? Dad, maybe you're here saying you're playing games with God. Uh, I know a lot of men in this church struggle with pornography, and bless your heart, I'm praying for you, and, and I know God loves you, and I know you'll get deliverance. But what would be sadder than to see your grown son or grown kids lose their marriage because of a pornography problem that you passed on to them? Can, we, can our mind even go there to think, what would it be like if our kids were lost for eternity because of us? We have a huge responsibility, huge as leaders, because people will follow us. Now, David goes from bad to worse as he continues to fall away from God. David is doing things that he never would have dreamed of probably doing before. He's going out stealing from the nearby villages. He's robbing people. He's killing people. I mean, he has really, really went down the drain pipe. Really gone bad. Then he lies to the Philistines and says, hey, you know where I got all this stuff at? I'm, 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 I'm attacking Israeli villages, and that's where I'm, I'm stealing from the Israelis. So they would think he's our guy. He's really with us. Now, I told you this story before, but it, it fits too well in our text so they'd ignore. But on the one of two occasions that I really backslid, it was a time that Debbie and I was really going through it. And we, we really were talking about divorce. I was in the ministry, but we were talking about divorce. And I said, we can't do this anymore. And I remember one thing led to another, and one day I was just flat angry, man. And I said, you know what? I'm leaving you today, and I'm not even promising when I'm coming back. I am fed up with you. I'm fed up with the ministry. I'm fed up with pastoring. I'm fed up with being an example to everyone. I'm tired. I'm through. And I went, and I told you before, I threw my luggage in the trunk of my car, and I threw a guitar in there, and don't ask me why, because I don't play. <laughs> but I had a guitar in there. Guess I was going to learn it that weekend. And I took all my money, went to the bank, cashed cash a, a check for cash, threw that in my suitcase for some unknown reason, put my suitcase in the back, took off for L.A. I said, I'm going to go find a bar. I'm going to go out and get stone drunk tonight. I am through. I'm finished with everything. And I remember pulling up in a hotel. I went and got in my room. I got all spruced up, man. I said, I'm going out now, and I'm just going to get plastered tonight. And I walked out to my car, and I'll tell you, just like it happened, I opened my trunk to get my money out. Everything was gone. 
my suitcase, my guitar of all things. The one I didn't play was gone. Somebody in the church lost a guitar. And my, everything was gone. And I, I put the trunk back down. I mean, there was no marks. There, I mean, I don't know how, how it happened. It just supernaturally disappeared in my mind. And I heard a voice, and this relates to my sermon. I said, man, I lost this stuff. Oh, it makes me so mad. And I felt this voice say, you're angry over losing this stuff, but this is nothing compared to what you're going to lose if you don't get your head on your shoulders right now. I heard it plain as day. It echoed out of the sky in my heart. And I had to come home. I had no money. (laughs) Everything was gone. And I came back home, apologized to Debbie, and life went on. Man, I'm glad I listened to God. See, Hebrews 12, I was going to read this passage. I'm so concerned about time this morning. Uh, Let's read it real quick. I'll try it. If I go too long this service, well, next service will reap the benefits. April 12, I mean, Hebrews 12, 4 through 13. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Hello. And you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That means we're going to be disciplined by the Lord. Nor faint, you pansy. Don't faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, how many is he loving here today? Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. When when have you seen the Lord discipline you lately? Have you seen him? And he scourges every son he receives. It's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're an illegitimate child. You're not really even a son. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, because of all of that, strengthen the hand. This is your responsibility. Strengthen the hands that are weak. Strengthen the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The implication is there, if you don't do something, it's going to be disjointed. If you don't do something wrong, if you don't turn around and go back home, you're going to lose a whole lot of stuff. I'm telling you now, I'm warning you because I love you. I'm disciplining you. Get back home. Now, old habits die hard. They they don't die easily. See, once you come to Christ, again, your expectations equal your peace. You didn't get saved for life to become hunky-dory. You got saved so God could start working on you and shape you into the image of Jesus, change your character. He's going to start working on you. He's going to start chiseling. He's going to start hammering. And that'll never stop. And it's for your own good. You're going to come here to church sometimes and leave here mad at me going, how dare him say that? But you know it was God. You know it was God. Don't go to a church where you leave happy all the time, you know, like, whoa, you know, I feel good. If you feel good all the time, you're in the wrong church probably. (laughs) 
I remember Calvary Bible, when they were, they were in their heyday, some of the pastors would write me or call me and say, Pastor Ron, we can see you're getting a little nervous about growing too big because you're starting to thin the people out. Because I would really get down and I'd start preaching. Uh, so, it doesn't die easily. See, when we come to God, we're self-sufficient. When we first come to God, we're used to taking care of ourselves. Now, what He has to do, He has to break us. Because He knows that what He's called us to will require us to live at the altar. And so He has to break us from our self sufficiency. Again, I know it's redundant, but if you're around me very much, I'm pathetic. I'm always at the altar. I'm always saying, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. You know, that's the way I live. Now, again, let me go back and say something I didn't say. We see David going bad from worse. He's now killing people, man. He's robbing on and on. Have you ever seen what you thought was a good Christian brother or sister, and then you hear about something they did, and you go, what? How could they have done that? I mean, that's deep. Whoa. Well, you know what? They went down stair step by stair step, little by little. Once you start backsliding, it is crazy where it can lead you. You just go down stair step. You, see, Christian people, when they walk in the Spirit, they catch themselves on the first stair step. All the time I'm catching myself. Go, whoa, don't go back there. The other day I did something. I go, whoa, that, that's the first step leading back to that. And so it's a constant communion with God. Now, again, these old things die slowly. I mean, I told you, I was controlling, man. I was jealous. And I told you, uh, after I got saved and started really getting serious about my life with God, one day Debbie came home late, and I said, hey, I just want to tell you something. I've been praying that God wants to know why you're late, and He wants to know where you've been. <laughs> God wants to know. Not me. Not me. He told me I need to ask you. Let me just get to the point here, because I really got the clock there in front of me. God had big plans for David's life. He has big plans for your life and my life. But we can't accomplish those plans without living at the altar. He's commanded us to love our enemies. Go out and try that on your own. You have to live at the altar. Only God can give you love for your enemies. Only God can give you love for that ex-spouse that's done you wrong. Only God can do that. We have to live at the altar. See, God knew that David would never accomplish his will for his life unless he got rid of his self-sufficiency and his manipulation and started living at the altar. So, what did God do? He allowed David to come to a place in his life where he had no way up. Without a miracle from God, he had no way out. Are you there? No way out. If you're not there, you, you will come to that place. I mean, God is going to allow things to come into your life that will require that you go to the altar. He had to get David to the place where he needed God. My marriage, when Debbie told me she was going to leave me, I knew it was over. I mean, I had pushed her to the limits. And when she looked at me and said, I hate you, don't want to ever see you again, I knew it's over, it's over. Game, game's over. And I knew that day I needed God. 
My cancer, man, I, 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 I've had two now, both death warrants. And I need God. I'm at a place today. I mean, I really believe God's healed me and taken care of me. And I believe that this body is a loner. And as long as he wants me ministering, he's got to take care of the loner. You might pray for me because I went to my doctor at UCLA or at Cedar sinai this week. And I said, I want off of all cancer meds. I want off of everything. I believe God's got this, and I don't want any more meds. Now, he said, I'm not going to tell you you can yet, but I'll call you in 10 days to tell you. When I get in your test results, I'm going to tell you. I said, you know, I don't feel good sometimes. I, I, don't, I, I just don't feel. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. I tell too much. See, I just feel like you're my family around a fireplace. I trust you guys. I really trust you. Besides that, I took caffeine this morning. I don't normally do it. I'm just going to rattle. I'll tell you my whole life story if you keep me up here long enough. And then I'll go home when the caffeine wears off. I go, did you really tell him that? <laughs> so, David, what happens? The story continues. And uh, he wanted to get David to this place where he would be really relying on God. Let me just read you some verses first. Isaiah 31 through 3. It says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not my plan, who make an alliance, but not in my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt, that's the world in Scripture, without consulting me. They take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame, and the shelter and the shadow of the Egypt will be your humiliation. Look at Isaiah 65 and 2. I have spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. And then John, uh, Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your souls. Don't say, I won't walk in it. You need to walk in it. Now, cutting through this real quick. In chapter 29, the Philistines go to war with the Israelites. And because David's living in a city called Ziklag in the Philistine territory, King Achish gave it to him when he went there. David was David. He said, man, I'm living there. I'm in their house, their land. If, I'm, if they're, they're being good to me, then I'd be loyal to them. So I'll take my men, 600 of us, and we'll go fight with them. He was going to fight against the Israelites, his own people. That would have been a huge mistake. David was about to make a huge mistake. Fortunately for him, now God was in this. When he took his men and went to the, to the Philistines, he said, we're here to fight with you. He was King Achish's friend. But the other Philistine generals got together and they come back and go, you're going to fight with us? No way. We, we got more common sense than that. This could be a setup. You start fighting with us. When the battle gets heavy, you might turn on us. You go home. We don't want you. We don't want you. King Achish fell bad and said, man, I'm sorry. And David says, man, they don't want us. They don't want you. Go home. 
Go home. Because the Philistine commander said, wait, we, we remember you. You're the guy who, who they made songs about. You know, you, you were Israel's hero. This could be a, a setup. And so David and his men turned around and went home. Listen to me very closely, another rhema. What seemed like a huge defeat at the moment was really God saving his life. You can't always determine what is good and what is bad. You have to depend upon God's Spirit. Now, I got examples here, again. I don't have time to tell them. Times when I thought I was so right, and I, I even argued to God, going, God, you let me down, you let me down. And I look back with hindsight, He was saving my life. Did you see how this thing works? That's why you have verses like the one that says, trust the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding because you're not going to figure it out a lot of time. You're not going to know what's happening. It's going to look like God's letting you down, but He's not letting you down. He's saving your life. God, I can't believe they left me. I know they're bad, and I know I met them at that uh, Megillah Gorillas down the street, and God, I know, but why are they leaving me? Uh, you saved me, and I've been praying. He's saving your life by getting that person out of your life. you got to trust Him. you got to… David's life was on the brink of destruction. And so God intervenes. He intervenes. Now, the story continues. After David was turned away from the battle, he decides he'll go back home. He takes his men, goes back to Ziklag. When they arrive at the hill that overlooks Ziklag, they look down. And the Amalekites, were told, had done a raid on the southern area of that valley. And while David and the men were gone, they swooped down. They took captive all of David and his men's wives and their children, took them, burned the city to the ground. Now, it says when the men saw this, now just put yourself in their shoes for a moment. These heathens, these pagans come in and take your wife and your young daughters and your boys. They come in while you're gone and they kidnap them. Your imagination is going to start running wild. What are they doing to my wives and daughters? Were they going to kill my, my, my sons when my sons try to defend their, their sisters? When they try, your mind just going crazy. It says they wept until there was no more tears left in them. It was a wake-up call for David. Aren't you thankful for those wake-up calls? And God said, you need me, buddy. And it says David right there, I believe he rededicated his life. They said he went and strengthened himself in the Lord. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Something he should have did a long time before that. He gets right with God. And after he gets right with God, he comes back to where he should have been a long time ago. He tells the priest, go get the ephod. He says, I'm going to pray now. See, all of a sudden, he's not talking to himself. He's talking to God because he's rededicated his life. And he gets the ephod, and he says, man, should we go after these Amalekites that have taken, you know, this stuff from us and the Spirit of God said through the ephod, he said, go pursue them and you'll take back everything. So David gets a posse together, 600 men. 200 men were too tired, so they were just worn out. They're probably old guys like, like me. They go, we can't go any further. And David says, okay, 200 of you stay here. Somebody's got to protect the baggage. You protect the baggage. 400 of us will go. And 
along the way, they don't even know where to go. I mean, they're just taking off going, I don't know where we go here, but let's just take off. The Melekites are somewhere. And along the way, a coincidence happened. A coincidence. How many coincidences do I experience along the way? And lo and behold, they come across a young Egyptian. He's laying out in the field, and they, they start talking to him. He said, they said, who are you? He said, I'm a servant of one of the Melekites. And I got sick three days ago, and they just kicked me to the side and left me. David says, okay, give the guy some bread. Give him some water. Give him some fig cakes. Some, give him a big cluster of grapes. And they fed him. They treated him nice. And they said, can you tell us where the Amalekites went? And they said, yeah, I can. I can give this. But promise you won't kill me. David said, we won't. We won't. And so this young man told him where to find the Amalekites. See, I, I love it how God works. I love it. I love it. I love it. You remember when, when Katrina, the hurricane, Katrina, help me out here. Yes, that hurricane. Katrina. When it came, God moved on our hearts. And I love trips like this. I, I've done this a lot. It's crazy. I come up with this crazy idea and I asked the board, I said, you know what? Katrina, all these people have been displaced back in New Orleans and stuff. Let's go back there and let's, let's bring a bunch of them to Bakersfield and we'll give them places to live. We'll find jobs for them. Let's go, let's do something. And so we took off me and Pastor Jim and Josh. And I love trips like this. We didn't know where we're going. We got a hotel in Houston. And so we get there and we go, what do we do now? Because we tried, we made some calls. They said, you can't get in the Astrodome. That's where the people's at. You can't do this. I mean, we were back there and we didn't know what to do. So we laid on our faces in a dirty hotel room. We said, God, lead and talk to us, talk to us. And God spoke to us through a set of circumstances. And I can't remember the name, so forgive me. But it was like Adriana or something. And, and, and the Lord says, just find a person named Adriana and she'll open all the doors for you and lead and guide you. And I got up, I said, did you hear that? And Jim and Josh said, Adriana or whatever. And so we made a few more calls and one person, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. You know, I know what you want to do. It's noble. It's great. But Adriana might have a word for you. And I go, ah, whoa. Anyway, she opened the door. We went in. We brought several families back here, and we got them hotel rooms, and, and two of the families we found out weren't families at all. They were shacking up, watching porn on our bill, and <sighs> but I think it turned out all right. But I love those kind of trips. Now, David and his men overcame the Malachites successfully and took back everything they'd stolen from them, got their wives back, their kids back, their sheep back, their oxen, and even more stuff. See, we, I, I used to like some of the old songs in the old time church. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me, took back what he stole from me. Remember those songs? Took back what he stole from me. I went to the enemy's camp. And, I, and you'd leave church pumped, man. You were just looking for a fight, man. <laughs> Going, hey, you ain't stealing nothing from me, man. I'm going to take it back from you. Do you remember that? I like the one song I remember I went to, a Pentecostal song, and the devil's in the phone booth dialing 911. <laughs> I know, forgive me, I still have some of that in me. The worship team has to put up with me. I'm going, would, would you sing this? And I see by the look in their eyes, like, no. <laughs> I'm going to make them sing the devil's in the phone booth dialing 911. <laughs> okay, get through, Ron, get through. That, that caffeine, I shouldn't have taken it. David took the spoil and shared it with Israel villages nearby. He took the spoil that he got 
And he went out and started sharing it with all the different villages in Israel that were nearby. Wow. He, he, he became a hero. They loved him. They wanted him as their leader. Romans 8.28 is working here, right? I mean, if he had not been turned down, if the, the city had not been burned, if the wives had been not taken, then none of this would happen. See, God was in all this. He was allowing it to happen, Romans 8, 28. I'll give you five, six laps. I'm just going to mention them. We're going to go home. Number one, I want you to see something here, a lesson we learned. David became king by not trying to become king. That's a good word for someone. I'm suspicious of every young man that comes in that wants to be a pastor and wants to be in the pulpit. I'm suspicious of that. I know myself, Joshua, Jim, most really good pastors I know didn't set out to be a pastor. They just set out to radically serve God, and God just put them in this place. See, God has an assignment for all of you. He has a special assignment. You usually won't find that assignment by trying to, trying to find it. You'll find it by just giving everything you have to what's in front of you, and then God will find you. Number two, David had relentless determination. He refused to go down to defeat. I have not seen many successful people in any field whatsoever that are successful who didn't have this relentless determination. Now, here's where I really want to say something to you. Some of you give up way too easy. You just give up. You just throw in the towel. You just stop praying and you stop believing See, the Bible says a double-minded person should not expect to receive anything. I mean, I see people all the time giving up too easy on their job, their relationship, their marriages, their health. They throw in the towel. They stop trying. Victory to goes, goes to those who are relentlessly determined. I read a story this week blew me away. True story. In 1983, there was an ultra marathon held in, I think it was Australia, it was a race of over 544 miles. And an old competitor showed, showed up. I mean, all these young men came out there in their professional race gear. You know, the, they had the, the names, the slogans of who was, who was sponsoring them. They had their special shoes on. And, and, and up shows a 61-year-old man by the name of Cliff Young. He didn't have all expensive gear. He had no brand shoes. In fact, I got a picture, a real picture of him. This is him. He showed up for the ultra marathon. Well, obviously, people started laughing. He was the joke of the marathon. People started insulting him. They were making jokes about him. What in the heck is he doing out there? But after five days and 15 hours and four minutes, they weren't laughing anymore. He won the marathon, ultra marathon. He won it. Now, get this. Not only did he win it, he was over 10 hours ahead of the person in second place. They thought, how do you do it? True story. Well, he was a shepherd by, by, by uh, vocation. And he was too poor to buy a horse or anything. He had to run all the time to stay in front of the sheep. He had to do the work of a sheepdog. And secondly, he was never told that runners in ultramarathons stopped at night to rest. He ran five days, day and night, never stopped. <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us and run the race with endurance that's set before us. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, who despised the shame, endured the cross. Perseverance is what the Bible calls this trait. It, it's given to us by God. It's, it's a supernatural strength that causes us to outlast the pain, outlast the discomfort, outlast the stress and the problem. It's what gave me a victory in my life over marriage and cancer and, and in my career. Number three, David knew how to stand alone when he had to. There's times where no one's going to pat you on the back. There are going to be times when no one's encourages you. No one's going to agree with you. You have to learn how to encourage yourself from the Lord. You all have different methods of doing that. I'm loud. I pray. I quote the word. That's the way I do it. Some of you go listen to a worship song. Some of you go get a good godly friend. But you've got to learn to encourage yourself from the Lord. I've had a lot of wives come up to me over the years. No one's discipling my husband. I cannot. We're just going to leave this church. Well, poor baby. I had no one disciple me neither. I went down to Casamore, rented out cassettes, went home and listened to them every day. No one wanted to give me the time of day. I did it myself. Well, God did it himself. Uh, number three. Four. Are we on four? Four. You want to get out of here, don't you? Okay, real quickly. Uh, David didn't know exactly what to do, but he did what he could do. Mm. I guess so much to say about that. There's so many stories in Scripture where God didn't move until people are on their way doing something. Can I tell you a God story, coolest God story ever? I haven't told you, but I've been struggling with Las Vegas. Las Vegas, their lease on their building is up in November, and the owner wants to double our rent. Double it. We don't have the money. So we've been praying, praying. I've been going over, meeting with the guys. We've been looking at new buildings. We've been walking the ground saying, we don't know what to do, but we know how to pray. Let's start praying. Let's start praying. We don't know what to do because the owner was, was adamant, you're going to double your rent, which was like lots of thousands of dollars. And so I even called the owner, and I said, man, you don't understand. God loves the poor, and we love the poor. Please get us back in New York and trying to talk to him. And so Doug, they didn't know what he was doing. He just felt led to he sent the owner a, a, a little email, and it said, we have decided to take our option on renewing our lease for five years. And that's all he said. Doug didn't know. I, said, I just wanted to say something. I didn't know what to say. They got the lease out and looked, and there was a dentum in there. They said, we have a right to go five more years, the same price we've been paying on, and God came through for us, and we are now looking good. Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was just really a, a, a thing. Just give me the next point. I don't even know what number I'm on, but he loved his way to the throne. He loved his way to the throne. He just loved those people. When, when, the, when, the, when the 400 men came back that were in war, they saw the 200 men with the baggage, and they said, hey, we're not giving them any spoils. Give them their wife back and their kids, but don't give them any spoils. They didn't go. David said, you don't understand. God gave us the victory. God gave it to us. We didn't get it ourselves, so we need to share with everybody. Everybody's important. Everybody is. Love your way to the throne. Pastor Cottrell, decades ago, was the pastor of First Assembly. He told me one day, said, Pastor Ron, I'm not the best preacher. I'm not the best teacher. I'm not this or that. But no one's going to love these people more than me. And the last one, David was one man when he was in the flesh and another in the spirit. Do I need to say any more? 
I am exactly six minutes over. Not bad. We're not through yet. We're going to pray our way out, and we're going to stand and worship. Did you get anything today? Really, honestly, I know my sermons might, might be long. I am trying so hard to get them down, and I'm going to keep trying. Someday I'll succeed. Maybe next week. I don't want to speak to you more than 35 minutes. I went 45, 46. You're okay, though. You're all right. You live through it. Taco Bell stays open. It's not, go, it's not closing. Father God, every time we come, you speak to us. And you're not through speaking. Right now, if anyone doesn't know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, all you have to do is come up here and pray with someone, go to your bathroom like I did one day and say, God, I'm a sinner. I ask you to send your Holy Spirit, live in my body, and give me the power I need to start serving you. And you can do that today up here. You can do it in your chair. You can do it in your car. You can do it in your bathroom. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for delivering the word today. And that's all I'm going to pray. I did my job. I planted the seeds. We'll let it go. We'll make it grow. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. Listen to me. We need to worship God. We need to celebrate Him. There's something of mature nature that takes place when you worship God. I want you to stand to your feet after this song is saying you can go home. But stand to your feet, please, and let's go out singing this song. Uh, campus, pastors, you take it. It's yours. Finish it however you want to finish it. Love you guys. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our love.